If you would, go ahead and take out your Bibles with me. Let's turn to the book of Romans. Book of Romans, chapter 6. As you turn there, let me ask you to, uh, to whisper a little prayer for uh, our brother Brad, who is at uh, Flood's Chapel, I believe, this morning. And uh, he is speaking over there, uh, representing the, uh, the Gideon ministry. And uh, we want to pray for him as he is there uh, speaking with them this morning. And so please keep him in your mind and heart and uh, whisper a little prayer for him as well. We are uh, continuing our verse-by-verse study of this letter. And uh, this morning we come to the second paragraph of chapter 6. So we're going to begin in verse 5, Romans 6, verse 5, and read through verse 11. Romans 6, beginning in verse 5. Here's what we read. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's the issue. Can a person be a Christian and continue to live in sin? I mean, look around. There are lots and lots of people who claim to be Christians, who profess the name of Jesus, but they continue to live in the same patterns as the rest of the world around them. And most of you know this better than I do. Right? Because many of you have shared stories with me about people in your family and people in your workplace that you're concerned about who wear the name Christian, but don't live like Christians. They talk the way the others do. They laugh at the same ungodly jokes. This is the person who can can go to church each Sunday and yet laugh along with the other guys looking at inappropriate pictures on a cell phone. This is the person who forwards you those emails about about how America needs to return to its Christian foundation, and yet at the same time, this person speaks with disrespect and hostility about their boss or their co-workers. This person wears the name of Christ, but enjoys movies and music that ought to disgust him or her. If you're serious about your faith in Christ then there is a very real possibility this person doesn't much like you. If you're a true Christian living out your faith, you make this person a bit uncomfortable. 
You make this person feel as though their faith isn't quite good enough because a false Christian would rather be around the worst pagan in the world than a true believer. In this letter, Paul is writing to people born and raised in the pagan Roman Empire. Not all of the church in Rome were people born and raised in the pagan Roman Empire, but we assume that many of them were. Their culture was characterized by rampant idolatry and sexual immorality. This was not a culture that valued truth. If being dishonest helped you get ahead, be dishonest. This was a culture that loved violence. Watching gladiators fight to the death or watching people be eaten by wild animals was considered sport. The love of money, the love of possessions, saturated Roman culture. So we probably shouldn't be too surprised that there were some people who wanted to be counted as Christians part of this new movement that was happening in the world, but they wanted to continue living the way they lived before. These people wanted to have Jesus, but they wanted to have their sin too. Sometimes we speak of those people who want to have Jesus as their get-out-of-jail-free card. They want to have Jesus as their fire insurance. It isn't that they truly love Christ, It's that they want to use Christ for their own advantage. They see Jesus as a way for them to continue indulging in their sinful desires while resting in the comfort that their sins will all be forgiven in the end. These were the kind of people who would say, we're saved by the blood of Jesus. Now let's live as we please. We call these people antinomians. That's the theological term. Antinomians. Anti means no. Nomos means law. So an antinomian is someone who believes in no law. That is, they believe that because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to worry about the law of God. We no longer have to worry about being condemned by the law of God. And therefore, we can just live however we please. Which isn't wrong. Except that if you're a true Christian, living as you please doesn't mean indulging in sin. If you are a true Christian, living as you please means finding delight in seeking to obey the Lord who has saved you. So we have people wanting to have the name Christian, but wanting to live in sin. In fact, in verse 1, they they argued that by living in sin, God's grace would be all the more glorified. Look at verse 1. Remember verse 1? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What was Paul's answer? By no means. God forbid. Why not? Why can't Christians go on living in sin? Well, Paul's first response is this. 
because Christians have died to sin. As we have already seen over the last couple of weeks, Christ's death on the cross guaranteed the death of our old selves if we are His. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, it is guaranteed that every child of God will be changed by the Holy Spirit so that they will turn from their sins. They will become new creations, not living as they once were. We see this said again in verses 6 and 7. So look at verses 6 and 7. Let's hear Paul say it again. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Right? Paul is speaking here about something we, we know. That is, he assumes that if we are the followers of Jesus Christ, we already know this. This is basic. This is fundamental. This is the ABCs of the Christian faith. What is it that every Christian ought to know? We were once slaves to sin. That was our old self, our old man. We used to like sin. We indulged in it. We we gave ourselves to it. Our heart was enslaved and devoted to sinful desires. But at the cross, something fantastic happened. Christ became sin for us. That is, Christ took upon Himself the guilt of His people and bore the wrath of God for them. And through Christ's death, God can now be just in sending the Holy Spirit into sinners like us, changing our hearts, making us hate sin and crave holiness. In other words, by putting Jesus' body to death on the cross, our body of sin, the whole mass of sin in us, all of its parts was guaranteed to be put to death in us. Begins at regeneration. When we're born again. Begins that moment when we first hear the gospel, maybe for the thousandth time, maybe for the first time, but we hear the gospel and the Spirit works. And He causes our eyes to be open. And He causes our heart to be broken. And we see our sinfulness. And we see Christ as the Savior for sinners. And because of the Spirit, we have a new heart that believes on Jesus and hates sin. And then this begins to show itself in our new life. As the Spirit working through our minds, as the Spirit working through our wills begins to prefer Christ and long to do the things of Christ and become obedient to Christ and to kill sin and to work against sin and to have hostility towards sin. Church, we need to make sure we understand this. We need to make sure that it it soaks in upon us with power. Christians, by definition, are people who have experienced a change in relation to sin. 
It no longer reigns over us. We no longer love it and bow to its will. We are now at war with sin. We've seen it for what it is. The curtain has been pulled back. Sin is a siren. It attracts us with its beauty, but its purpose is to destroy us. By God's grace, we've seen through the disguise and now we fight it. And we fight and long for the day when we will fight no more. And that day is coming. This is what we call glorification. That day when Jesus will come back or the day we die. And on that day, God will complete this work of removing sin from us and we will be holy and we will walk free from the presence of sin forever. All right, Christians, let me ask you a question just to see if you're understanding what Paul was teaching here. It's a trick question, I'll admit that. It's a trick question. I'm going to ask you a question. When did we die to sin? When did we die to sin? It's a trick question because there's four answers. In a sense, we died to sin when Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished. He was saying that absolutely everything necessary was finished to guarantee that his people would die to sin. So in a sense, it was absolutely guaranteed in that moment. In another sense, we died to sin that moment we were born again, given a new heart. Because it was then that we first saw sin for what it really is and we hated it and we saw Christ for who He is and we loved Him and there was a change of masters, a change of love in our heart. In one sense, we die to sin every single day, don't we? Colossians 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly within you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, there is a sense in which every day we must freshly take up our sword and do battle with sin in our lives, putting it to death. Will you hold your tongue when that person speaks evil of you? Will you love your spouse today? Will you be patient with your children or your grandchildren? Will you set your mind on things above? Or will you say hateful things? Or will you treat your spouse with contempt? Or will you be impatient with the kids? Will you set your mind on things that do not matter? Every day we're doing battle. Every day we must put sin to death. And the Spirit is working within us to lead us and to guide us and to move us in doing this. And then, of course, in the ultimate sense, when will we die to sin? Well, on the day we die or Christ comes back, whichever comes first. Because then we will no longer have to battle. We will be in paradise. And sin will be gone forever. Dear friends, all of this is the work of God's grace in Jesus. All of this is God's plan of salvation. And all of this is Jesus mercifully loving you. The cross, regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification, all of salvation is the grace of God given to you in Jesus Christ. 
Now, if Jesus went to the cross and is doing all of these things to set you free from sin, can you really say, I love Jesus and embrace sin? Can you love Christ and embrace the very thing He hates? Can you pull for State and Carolina? Or Duke and Carolina. You can't, right? You cannot be on the side of sin and the side of Christ. And so Paul's first answer is, you've died to sin. Jesus and sin are bitter enemies. Everything Jesus is doing in your life is to destroy sin. Here's another way to think about it. If Jesus tells the wind to be still, what does the wind do? It stills. If Jesus says to a mountain, move, guess what the mountain does? It moves. So if Jesus has given His life and is working to secure freedom from sin for His children, is He going to fail in that endeavor? Jesus does not fail. The cross was not a failure. If a person claims to be a Christian, but is living under the reign of sin, it does not mean that Jesus was a failure. It means that person is a liar. As Brian just read for us from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-10. through 10. Are there any of us who may be self-deceived? I pray that there's not. So the first response. Paul, can't we be Christians and live in sin? You've died to sin. Second response. Not only have Christians died to sin, but they have risen to newness of life. They have risen to newness of life. Christians have not just died. Christians have risen. Paul isn't just teaching the one side. He's also teaching the other side. We've now risen to live lives of holiness. We're not just emptying the poison out of the cup. Now, by God's grace, virtue and patience and the fruit of the Spirit is being poured into the cup. We're not just dying to hatred. We're we're living in love. We're not just dying to bitterness. We're living in forgiveness. We're not just dying to anger. We're living in contentment and peace. And really, if you want to get to the heart of what he's saying in these verses, he's saying that this is a certainty. He's saying that there is no such thing as a Christian who has died to sin and not risen to this new life. There is no such thing as a Christian who now hates impatient and is doing battle against impatience, but doesn't care much for patience. I hate hatred. Don't care much for love either. No. He says if you've died, you've risen. Repentance. Repentance is not just turning from one thing. It's turning to the other. When God changes our hearts, He doesn't simply show us the wickedness of our sin. He shows us the glory of Christ. And now we want to be like our hero. 
We want to imitate our Savior. We don't just hate sin. We love holiness. Do you love holiness? Has this happened in your heart? Look at verse 5. Verse 5. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. In other words, Jesus died and Jesus rose. When Jesus died, He was accomplishing something for us. The same way when Jesus rose, He was accomplishing something for us. Jesus didn't just die, He also rose. After death comes resurrection. If we are united to Christ in His death, resurrection must follow. Yes, Christian, you have died to sin, but that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Resurrection follows death for the Christian. Now, let me ask you a question. It's a trick question, but this time you should probably get the answer. Christian, when did we rise again? When did we rise again? Well, four answers. In one sense, sorry, in one sense, we rose from the dead at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus got up from His tomb, it was the guarantee that every person who belonged to Jesus Christ would also experience a resurrection in their soul and be made new. A dead Jesus can't make people alive, but a living Jesus can. Second, we rose from the dead when we were born again. When our hearts were changed. We now want to be pure. We now want to follow Jesus. For the first time, we, at that moment, for the first time, we really believe that Jesus loves us. We really believe that Jesus knows what is best for us. We saw all that He is, and we wanted it, and we desired it. In one sense, we have to rise from the dead spiritually every day. That is, every day. As you're enjoying the means of grace, right? The Bible, prayer, Christian fellowship. As you're enjoying these things, God is showing you higher and newer delights. We should be rising each day again to new levels of patience, new levels of self-control, new levels of love, new levels of kindness. The whole process of sanctification means that year after year after year, we are slowly taking more steps out of darkness into light. Slowly taking more steps out of death into life. And of course, in the ultimate sense, this work will be finished on the last day when we will be perfect. We will be in the image of our Savior. Now, Paul's answer to those who want to be Christians and yet live in sin is that by definition you cannot because Christians are people who have died to sin and risen to live for God. But there's more. Give me a second.
Paul wants us to understand that once you've died to sin and risen to God, you can't go back and do it all over again. The old man is dead. He's not wounded. The old man is dead. A true Christian cannot give himself or herself to the dominion of sin again. Now, there are some who believe that a Christian can do this. There are some who believe that a Christian can reject Christ, turn back to the dominion of sin, lose their salvation, and then they can believe and be saved again and come back into the dominion of Christ. They can die again spiritually. They can rise again spiritually for the second time. And then they can fall back into the old dominion of sin again. And then they can believe again. And they can be and over and over and over again. They believe this is a repeatable thing that can happen. Paul makes very clear it cannot. Look at verses 9 and 10. Look at verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. When Jesus died to sin, He did so once for all. Once for all time. Jesus would never need to be crucified again. There would be no second atonement needed. Now that Jesus is risen, He will never die again. Death has no claim on Him. Right? The wages of sin is death. Jesus bore the wages of our sin at the cross. Those sins have been dealt with. There's no more wages. Therefore, there can be no more death for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's justice will not allow the same sins to be punished twice. Justice is satisfied. Jesus is alive. And Jesus will be alive forever and ever and ever and ever. And as it is with Christ, so it is with Christ's people. As it happened to Him, it happens to us. We have now been made alive in Christ. And we can never die again. We can never go back to our old ways of living and be resaved. Dear antinomian friend who wants to call yourself a Christian but live happily under the dominion of sin, what you are asking is that you die to Christ and live to sin, and then die to sin and live to Christ, and then die to Christ and live to sin, and then die to sin and live to Christ. And that is something that is impossible because when God changes a person, He changes them forever. The new birth is a once-for-all-time experience. There is no going back to the old man. Yes, there is present struggle. Amen? There is present struggle. But fundamentally, if you're a Christian, at the very bottom of your heart, if we could get to the very root of your heart, there is no longer love for sin there. There is love for Christ. And even as you struggle with sin, you grieve over the sins you commit. You can't go back to the way you once were when you lived in ignorance, when you lived sinning and there was no concerns about it. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, here's what Jesus has done for you. Here's what Jesus is doing in you. Dear Christian, do you know this about yourself? Is this your identity? Maybe you grew up in a house where your dad would occasionally say something like this. This is the Smith family. We don't behave that way. This is who we are. We're a certain kind of family in this house. This is a part of our identity. We don't act that way. What Paul's doing here is he's saying that followers of Jesus must think of themselves in a certain way. When you are tempted to sin, you should remember, I am a Christian. We don't live that way. We've died to those things. That's not who I am. That's not who we are. Friends, let us live to God. Let us now live to God in such a way that God is everything to us. Let us live in such a way that God is the passion of our lives. He should be our treasure, the one we long to serve and please. Christians are to live each and every day in the incredible love of God, to live in His amazing grace. We are to live by faith in His staggering promises. And in light of all this, in light of all that God has done for me, in light of being able to see Him and love Him and worship Him, can I go back and live happily in sin? It's an impossibility. If you can go back after what you've tasted and live happily in sin, you haven't tasted the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the great purpose for which Christians now live? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's who we are. It's the theme of our lives. Let me close with these three very brief points of application. I'm just going to read them off. Number one, oh, how we should love our God and His Son, Jesus Christ. If we are Christians, what a gift we have received. We were once blind in our slavery, We would have marched straight to hell had God not done this great work in us. Christ so humbly and willingly did this for us. He left heaven, endured scorn and reproach, endured the cross, endured the wrath of His Father. It is Christ that sends the Spirit into our souls. It is the Christ that gives us new hearts. It is Christ that gives us faith. It is Christ who is even now turning the lights on and helping us to defeat sin. It is Christ who is going to call us to Himself on the last day. Ultimately, this whole gift of being free from sin and living in glory for It is all the grace of God in Christ. It deserves all the glory. What language should I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? For this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. Make me thine forever, and should I fainting be? Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. Number two. Oh, how we should be in one mind with the Spirit. Oh, how we should be in one mind with the Spirit. Since Jesus right now is working by the Spirit in your soul to defeat sin and to help you live to God, we should be with the Spirit in that process. We should not be resisting the Spirit. We should not be grieving the Spirit. We should not be fighting against the Spirit as He seeks to make us holy. 
Dear Christian, Jesus is working in you to help you love God more. Are you working to that end? Jesus is working in you to help you beat those besetting sins. Are you working to that end? Number three. Finally, if there is anyone here who is happily, knowingly living in the ways that are contrary to the will of Christ, please don't call yourself a Christian. Turn from your sin. Know that as pleasing as it may seem, sin is poisonous. It will kill you in the end. You're like a two-year-old playing with lit dynamite. See that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. See that Jesus is a good shepherd, a good Lord, one who will lead you and bring you safely to heaven. See that Jesus Christ brings the forgiveness of sins. Why won't you turn from sin and run to Christ? Don't you long to have your sin defeated? Don't you long to be like your Savior? But He's not yours unless you run to Him. Unless you embrace Him in your heart, love Him and bow to Him. Let's pray.